You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rusk. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rusk Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rusk AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Kate Campbell, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It is wonderful to be back here today, Owen, talking about something we haven't discussed before on the show. Yes, a very first for the Australian Finance Podcast. Something near and dear to Owen's heart. So dear. So dear. Very near. Uh, In fact, it was just last month. I've still got PTSD from what we call reporting season. Yes. Yes. So, the companies had to report yes. the ones listed on the stock exchange. So if you own some individual companies, you might have seen some notifications come through from your broker. You might have seen some reports being posted. But this is the time where all the companies come front and center and tell everyone what they've been up to. Yeah. Yeah. So reporting season on the stock market is kind of like your exams at high school. It's like that period where all the report cards get in and the teachers begin grading. So that is basically what it is for companies and it happens twice a year. It happens in February and in August in Australia. So they have a date they have to do it by? Yeah, there are certain dates for Australian companies, but companies, for example, could be a, which we'll we'll talk about one today, um, companies could be from other parts of the world, but have their shares here in Australia. So they would be governed by wherever they're from. So for example, uh, companies from New Zealand uh, have a slightly different reporting season. So there might be one or two months either side of ours. Uh, whereas in the United States, they report every quarter. So quarterly earnings, have you ever heard like quarterly earnings, that phrase, that's what that's what it means, like quarterly reporting season. Uh, whereas we only have two big ones here in Australia. Okay. So it's March and... So, so it'd be February 
And it'll be August. Okay. So yeah. they're the dates you want to keep in mind if you're especially if you're investing in individual companies. Yeah, those are those are the two. I also throw in occasionally like the two weeks before reporting season. So if you think of them once again as February and August, the two weeks before that, so like late January, for example, uh, you have something what I call uh, confession season. <laughs> because companies have a responsibility to tell you if they think they're going to report really bad results or really good results. Yeah. Because there's this idea in the stock market that because they are public companies and anyone can invest in them, you need to operate, you need to be able to hold your shares on the basis that the company is telling you what's important at any one time. So even if that happens before you know, the actual reporting season. So for example, let me give you an example. A company comes out uh, in January, they've just all come back from holidays and it wasn't as good. Maybe they're a retailer over Christmas and they oh, wow, our Christmas sales weren't as high as we were expecting. So the accountants at the company say to their CEO, um, Mr. and Mrs. CEO, our results are actually going to be down 10% from what we thought last year. As soon as that happens, the CEO has a responsibility to make an announcement to the stock market because the CEO would need to inform all of the investors. And so that's why we call it confession season. So as they're compiling their results, they go, oh, geez, they scratch their head and they think, same good. So the aim is to not shock people when your report finally comes out? Yeah, exactly. So people should roughly have an idea of where they're going. So some companies, they will issue what's called an outlook statement. So every six months, they might do this. And they might say, we expect our sales to be $100 million, right? And then throughout the year, they might make updates every now and again saying, we reconfirm our outlook or we've changed our outlook, which is not a good thing necessarily. <laughs> um, so those, like the, there's this continuous uh, disclosure obligation that applies to every stock market in the world, basically. So you have to disclose your results as, as they come to hand. Yeah. So it stops people, if you think about it, if you know results are going to be good or bad, the longer that that information sits, the more chance there is for someone to find out and try and act on that information, which is what we call insider information, knowing that the stock is either going to fall or rise. And that's where we have a lot of like regulation around information and when it gets in and out. So even when we do podcasts with CEOs, Kate, they can only tell us things about the company that they've already told the stock market. Mm. Now, it would be different. So if, no secrets for you. No secrets. But if this podcast was being told to the stock market, like if they were <laughs> making the podcast available to all shareholders via yep. the stock exchange, they could say what they want. Yeah, because sometimes I see they, they've done a speech at a conference and potentially they've said something new. So they provide the whole transcript. Yeah, exactly. So they would have a conference. Say they like go to a conference organized by Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs gets all the top technology companies together, for example, and they all come and make presentations. Well, because of the continuous disclosure obligation, all of those, maybe not necessarily transcripts, but all the presentations have to be available. And that's just an, an attempt to try and make it an even playing field for everyone, which is fair. Yeah. Now, we do want to share 10 different companies and how they've performed this reporting season. But before we get to that, I was wondering, what kind of things do you look for at a high level when a company says, hey, hey, Owen, hey, shareholders, here's my results. Have a yeah. look. What what are some of those high-level things you look out for? So the things that you would look out for, just really quickly, are the obvious things, like how have the sales done? So like sales, also called revenue. I feel like it's obvious to you. Yeah. might not be obvious to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's fair enough. So like you would want to know, like if you ran your own business um, and every month you looked at your accounts, like your bank account, you go, oh, okay, so that's how much I've done in sales. That's the money that's come in. Uh, and then you would want to look at the profit. So the profit is what's left for you after you pay for everything. So you've got the sales coming in. You've got all your expenses and stuff that go out the door. 
So what you're left with is your profit, basically. So I want to look at that. And then finally, the, the, the third big thing, just as a very generalized statement, is you want to look for any dividends, obviously, because dividends are some of that profit coming back to you as a shareholder. Now, Kate, I know you wanted me to mention that some, well, this happens with all the companies, but they release their results in f February or August, but they don't pay their dividends until, say, like a month or two later. It's important to understand because when a company makes the announcement they'll say in their announcement that there's a date called an ex-dividend date. And this is basically the date that the company shares no longer, like if you own those shares, you will no longer receive that dividend which was announced. So say, for example, I come out today and say, hey, Kate, we're going to pay all shareholders a dividend of 20 cents a share. Uh, the, the, the date of record is in two days, right? Now, if you've hold the shares still at that day, you will get your 20 cents. Yeah. Right? Even but, if you sell them the next day. Yeah. And then you sell them the next day because you think, I don't want to hold this. I'm just happy to take my dividend. That day that you sell them, the day after is called the ex-dividend date. That's the date that the shares no longer have a dividend. So you can yeah. think about it as excluding the dividend. And often you'll see the share price fall in value because suddenly that's being removed. Yeah. So if you think about a share price as being $1, so $1 being, say, like the value of the company, right? And if I'm paying you a dividend of 20 cents. That means 20 cents is leaving the company to go to you. Yeah. So that's quite a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. That would be uh, a, a unusual. big dividend. Yeah. But some of the companies do pay quite substantial dividends. Exactly. So sometimes you'll see bank shares fall by 4%. In my example, the share price theore theoretically should fall by 20% because there's 20% of the company's value it's going out. Yeah. yeah. And so people don't understand that. The same thing happens with ETFs too on July 1st every year. Sometimes they're like, oh my God, my ACDC ETF has fallen. Um, not realizing that that's the date that the ETF goes X distribution. Yeah. So that's the day when they decide to pay the cash back to you as an ETF investor. And so the share price should fall. Yeah. Because I often see articles that say, oh, the, this share price fell or rose today because of reporting season, because they announced their results. But um, they often don't talk about that ex-dividend date. And if you are looking at a share price chart, some brokers will actually put a little symbol on that ex-dividend yeah. date. And it's quite interesting. You can usually see a drop in the share price. Yeah. Um, and if you don't have that information- You might you freak can, out. Yeah. So going into your broker and looking at those notifications and there'll be um, information, it's called dividend distribution. Yeah. It's got a name or something, but you can look at that document and find out what the ex-dividend date was. Yeah, typically in most brokers, most brokers do this where they have like a tab for dividends. Yeah. So if you click on the share that you're looking at and then you go dividends, it will have like the dates. Uh, like you can do that on the Vanguard website. If you're an ETF investor, you can do it on any yeah. ETF website and you see the date that it went X. Now, importantly, so we've thrown out a few dates here. The ex-dividend date is not the day you get the money. It's the day that the shares no longer have that attached to it, mm. that right attached to it. And the money's usually a few weeks later. Yeah, normally a few weeks later. So make sure in your share registry, guys, if you are playing along at home, that you have updated your bank account details and your tax file number in there because that's where the money goes yeah. and then it gets sent to you. That's Unless why you've got a dividend reinvestment plan. And yeah, then, but yeah. you'll get the you'll additional get. shares on the same day. Yeah, exactly. So there's a few different dates, but the ex-dividend date is the one that freaks people out because they're like, yeah. Oh no, my CBA shares have fallen 4%. What, what's going wrong? It's yeah. actually just because the dividend's been paid. It can be quite substantial sometimes. And because that delay yeah. in getting the cash, it's People hard don't reconcile. to connect the yeah. two dots. Yeah. Um, I think just before we get into this, we should just say that none of these are recommendations. Yep. We're just presenting 10. We tried to pick 10 different companies that sort of cover different industries from real estate to food. 
Healthcare. Yeah, healthcare. So we're different stuff d- some different ones and companies we think you will have heard of before. Yeah. We don't want to just mention some like speculative mining companies or whatever that you've never heard of and you have no interest in owning. These are all, I would say this is a general stroke though, Kate. These 10 companies are what I would characterize as high quality companies. Yes. They're really well-known in their industries and they're good at what they do. Yeah. And the interesting thing, even if you don't own any individual companies, most of these will be held in your ASX 200 ETF. So if you own an ETF that has invested in like the largest companies in Australia, you're likely to have some of the companies we mentioned today in there uh, to some extent. So it turns out you are an investor in probably many of these companies. And most, uh, I'd say a huge proportion of these companies would also be in your super fund if they're investing in Australian companies. Yeah, absolutely. These are some of the biggest companies in the country. And so if you're an ETF investor, stay tuned because you probably own some of these companies just via your ETF. Yeah. And if they do pay big dividends, then that will be part of your future distribution of your ETF. That's it. So the dividends get paid by the companies, they go back to the ETF, and then you get the dividend from that. All collated together nice and easy. Yep. Okay. So shall we? Well, the very first one I wanted to start with, which is a little bit different to start with, but I thought listeners would be quite familiar with this because Mm. we have discussed it before, is Argo Investments Limited. So the ticker code ARG, which is a listed investment company. So a little bit different to the other things we're going to mention, but it invests in lots of other different companies. Yeah. So Argo, people will probably be familiar with AFIC. Yep. We, so did, our, we did a deep dive, deep dive on, on that. AFIC. Yeah. So AFIC and Argo are two of the most well-known, what we call listed investment companies. So these are companies, but their primary job is just to invest the money that's inside the company. So, for example, when you buy an ETF like the BetaShares A200 ETF, just to use an example, you get that BetaShares will go and take your money and invest it in 200 shares. Now, with Argo and with AFIC, but we'll stick with Argo, what you actually get is instead of buying into an ETF and getting units in that ETF, you get shares of a company. And that company has a board of directors, like Argo has a board of directors, and they have money already in the company. So you're not getting like the money from the company or anything like that. When you're investing, you're changing, you're trading shares with another investor, just like if you're buying BHP or Telstra or something like that. And the money that's inside the company has already been put in there. Yeah. And Argo's job is to be a caretaker of that money. So the board of directors of Argo go and invest in other companies. So I'm pretty confident that if you went to the Argo website, what you would see is they would say, we have invested in these companies and we have sold these companies from our portfolio. So then you're thinking, well, I, but then how do I benefit? Like if I'm buying shares of Argo and then Argo is buying other shares, like how do I benefit? So what will happen in this instance, you would buy shares of Argo, they would appear in your brokerage account and Argo itself would be receiving dividends from the other investments that it's making on your behalf effectively. And then they bundle them up. And if they make a profit and they can generate franking credits, those tax credits, they send that back to you when they release their results. So I can see in this media release, Kate, that Argo itself, like the company that does the investing, its profit went up 6.2%. Its dividend went up 3.1% to 16.5 cents per share. So for every one share that you have, your dividend is 16.5 cents. And this is basically all it does. It's probably one of those really boring companies because it doesn't actually have operations. Mm. All it does is it's 
I imagine I've never been to the Argo headquarters, but I imagine this is what happens. People go into the office. We'd love to have a tour if, yeah. if you want to have us. <laughs> if you're listening, um, they go into the office every day and then they look at other companies to buy. Yeah. And then they do that for their shareholders. And they have a smooth and steady increasing dividend. That's part of their... Yeah. I often get asked, like, why would you use a LIC or a, uh, over an ETF? There are some exceptions, which we don't need to get into today, but sometimes LICs or listed investment companies, otherwise known as LICs uh, for short... Sometimes they're they're good and sometimes they're not good. Um, I would say on average, ETFs are lower fees. So that's one of the big reasons that people prefer ETFs. It's yeah. one of the reasons, but there are other reasons that you prefer an LIC as well. Yeah. So it's a good, right. good result in m- most part for, for Argo shareholders. Yeah. All right. The next company I have on my list is one that you are probably familiar with, Block Inc., yeah. which is on the ASX under SQ. Two. So do you know you know what Block is, right, Kate? Block is the renamed company for Square. Yep. Where I'm tapping and going when I'm buying my coffees in the morning. Yeah. So that thing that you see Payment in the cafes. Terminals. It looks like an iPad, but it's not an iPad, and it yeah. sits next to the cash but, register. And like when I go to the farmers market, they've all got that tiny little square. white square. Yeah. Hence they just, the name. Yeah. They just do the payment on their phone, and you just tap and good to go. It's yeah. great for small businesses. Yeah. So the reason why this company, it's actually a US company, and the reason why it's here in Australia is because it bought Afterpay. And the Afterpay acquisition price, I think, was about $37 billion, I think, off the top of my head. I can't remember exactly. Um, it's a huge number. A huge number. Yeah. So yeah. so basically, Block was like in the US. The, the founder of Block, by the way, is the same as co-founder as Twitter. Yeah. Um, so Jack Dorsey. Um, and the company was set up to provide payments and... Then they acquired Afterpay so that Afterpay could kind of, you know, feed the block ecosystem. And so they've got this big masterful plan and their big plan is to have heaps of buyers using Afterpay and heaps of sellers using Square Terminals. And they, what they call a closed loop. Anyway, <laughs> results wise. Um, yeah. So a lot of Australians who previously owned Afterpay, yeah, if well, they haven't sold, they own SQ2 shares. Yeah. And the reason why it's called SQ2 is because this company also has its shares in New York under yeah. SQ. So there's SQ and SQ2, which makes sense. So when you're Googling, you want to make sure you're looking at SQ2, the, the right one. Yeah. you If you have a, a an Australian brokerage account, chances are you've got SQ2. Uh, so uh, the thing to look at with when you look at Block's results just really quickly is you want to look at gross profit. You don't want to look at its sales. Why? Because sales include Bitcoin trading. Under accounting standards, they have to use this weird thing where if there's people trading Bitcoin back and forth in their system, that counts as a sale, but they're not really making money from that. Mm. So they, you have to look at the gross profit and gross profit was up 40% year over year. But a big reason for the growth is they acquired Afterpay. So Afterpay's revenue is now added to Block's revenue. But so they you, paid a lot to get that. Yeah, but that's not captured in the financial results. So all you see oh. on the, <laughs> the profit and loss is you see profit or you see the sales, go, the, 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 I say gross profit going up. And that's because Afterpay as another company has been added to that, mm. right? But then if you were to go further down, you'd realize that, oh, they paid 37 watt for this. Um, so yeah. that's where it's captured. So on the headline result, what they will show you is gross profit, which is the thing that I just told you to focus on, it's up 40%. Okay. So now if you, it, the, the, the key thing is if you were looking at this and you were really discerning, what you'd want to do is strip away the afterpay amount and look at what was the true growth of the overall business. So the actual... Square part of the business, uh, profit was up 22%. They also own Cash App in the US, which is um, 
it's like uh, like peer-to-peer payments. Yeah. So you can do a lot of different things. Like you can send money to friends and pay for things and whatever. And that was up 64% year over year. And that may be, I just don't know the exact amount here, but that may be where uh, some of this money is captured in, from Afterpay. Okay. So overall, I mean, it's a pretty good result for Block considering, like think of all the terrible things that are going against it. You've got, you know, in the US, a really tight uh, like economy at the moment. It's really uncertain. Uh, you've got all the buy now, pay later companies in Australia going out of business because they're terrible business models. Yeah, that's and you've got Bitcoin there. crashing over the last year. So everything is basically being thrown <laughs> at block um, and it's still surviving. There are, there's a lot more to it, but um, a big net loss of $541 million. Um, yeah, big I numbers mean, there. Yeah. Uh, so in the, qu- in the quarter, the net loss was $114 million. So yeah, anyway, I would say... It's one not for the faint-hearted, Kate. Yeah. Yeah. So that's US tech stocks are generally a volatile. Bit more volatile. Yep. All right. Moving on from tech into something a little bit different and something very close to home, Wes Farmers, which is listed on the ASX under the ticker code WES. It owns a lot of different companies in Australia, like Kmart, Bunnings, Officeworks, and some price lines. Yeah, yeah. So Wes Farmers is what we call conglomerate. So... We're getting all different types of businesses on this list, but um, yeah, it owns Kmart, it owns Bunnings. Bunnings is the lion's share of the business, by far the biggest part of the business. Uh, and so, as you can imagine, if you're listening to this, you're thinking, well, I know Bunnings. Of course you do. And uh, if you think about it, what is Bunnings dependent on? Construction, basically, and people doing things to their house. Craft projects. Yeah. So, Wes Farmer's result is basically how well is the property market going because that will determine what people spend on. So Bunnings is the big Bunnings is the big driver, yeah. The Kmart reported some really strong results, but you've got to remember this time last year, the results were coming out of COVID. So the results this year look very good, Yeah. but in context of like where it was last year, you've got to just be, I guess, aware of where it's come from to get to where it is now. Yeah, I remember we had a few questions about West Farmers because Drew um, Meredith mentioned it in our... Summer three, series. Three dividend stocks. Yeah. yeah. And so that's uh, people were having a look at West Farmers. Well, they've also announced things like going into pet food and all that sort of stuff. So the one thing about West Farmers is a brilliant business, one of the best businesses in Australia, in my opinion. It's one of those blue chips, though. It's like a big household name. Everyone knows it. Like, not as West Farmers, they know it as Kmart, Bunnings, Officeworks, et cetera. Uh, they used to own a huge chunk of Coles, who is also on our list, or which is also on our list for today. But once they sold that, and now you can buy coal shares separately, mm. West Farmers now have all this money from getting rid of that that they can then use to go and make other acquisitions. So their game yeah. plan is buy big businesses, make them better, and then sell them again. Yeah, and when I was on their website, it looked like they owned some portions, like some small portions of other listed businesses as well. Yeah, they own... There are a few companies in Australia that do this, West Farmers being one of them. Yeah, it's 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 a great business. And yep. the thing is, like, even if Bunnings slows down for one to two years because property prices fall, eventually it's going to come back. Because where else do you go for your DIY home needs? Honestly, like, there's like, it's a basic. I mean, monopoly. is there another option? There used to be Masters. There's um like the Mitre Ten Home Timber and Hardware kind of brands that are there, but they're not anything compared to Bunnings in yep. the DIY sense. Okay. And on the construction side, you've got things like Bowens and all of that, which are more for tradies. Yeah. Um, but Bunnings is basically a monopoly on DIY. Okay. So how were the Wes Farmers results this season? Yeah, pretty good. Um, like I said, Kmart was pretty good. Uh, 
the Bunnings overall, the result was pretty strong. The thing that we don't necessarily know for sure is even though results were up in double digits, sales were up in double digits, how much of that was just inflation? So inflation's like seven or eight percent. Mm. If West Farmers reports results above that, how much of it is just them increasing prices or actually getting better as a business? I think for the most part, really strong result. Um, and I think West Farmers overall could be bought as both a dividend stock or as a like a very, very long-term slow growth play, if that's what you want. Um, I'm just going to try and find the dividend yield. Okay, according to market index, it's currently 3.6%. And so they'll have fully franked dividends attached. Um, still not enough to beat inflation, but you're basically betting on some growth over the long term. Mm. Yeah, I'd put it on the watch list. Yeah, watch list. Cool. All right, next one. We're going into healthcare now. Cochlear Limited, COH on the ASX, mm-hmm. medical device company that creates the cochlear implants. So yeah, Australian innovation, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, the world leader. Mm. So people know, uh, chances are you know someone who's got one of these. So an implantable hearing aid. I know plenty of people that have these. And so they're not cheap. If you know people that have them, they'll say that they're not cheap and they have to put be put in by an audiologist and a doctor because they go into your, literally into your head. So, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so that's the key thing to keep in mind. And so what do you think of when you think someone having an implant in their head? Well, you think I want quality. I don't yes. want some knockoff job in the backyard, right? Yeah. Well, you wouldn't want to botch that and have to redo it. Well, that's it. And even once you get the implant in your head, it can still take months to get things like your balance back, to get your hearing back. Like mm-hmm. these are it's serious stuff. So yeah, something you don't, there's no room for mistakes here. Yeah. So the key thing to note is that most people don't pay for a cochlear implant. They're done by insurance overseas or, you know, things like Medicare and these types of things. So the key thing to understand about the way cochlear sells products is that it needs to be sold through a professional who recommends it and then people get subsidy or in some yep. way for that. Um, so there are, it's not as simple as, yeah, we sell implants, you go and buy one from the local shop. Yeah. Yeah. So There's a few, few yeah. more complications to it. But um, cochlear is the world leader. There are others, uh, Philips and others that are out there the thing to keep in mind is that original my original view which is that conclude has been through some recalls and that type of stuff over the years but why would you have why would you risk a cheaper alternative is basically mm. the question because once this thing's in your head and it takes months to recover wh- why you know, yeah. if you can get funding for the best product in the world, why wouldn't you do that? So that's basically my belief with Cochlear, and they've done a fantastic job over many years. Um, so sales uh, was up up nine percent, but profit was down sixteen percent, and they explained that away with a few expenses and what have you. But one of the things that I always look at is they give you this really good metric, which is brilliant, um, is how many implants they had in the half. Twenty one thousand two hundred forty nine. Why that not? was up 14%. Just in six months. Yeah. So that tells this is a global business. Okay. So it tells you how many, like ha- how the demand is basically. It's not a f- financial, it's telling you the number of units that are going in. It doesn't tell you the, the financials, which I'll get to in a minute. It just tells you like these are the amount that are going in. And then this is where it gets interesting. You always want that to be positive and it should be because the audience for uh, implants is truly massive around the world. So the cochlear implant revenue for the actual implants was up 12% to $513 million. This is just during the half year. The the sound processor upgrades, so getting like better processes and upgrading the thing that's, you know, in your head, 
um, which is what they call services, was up 1%. And then acoustics, which is kind of like a newer division, was up 20%. So overall, the business has multiple ways of growing. And if you just want to get a view on like, how can this business grow in the future? Just look at the units, which were strong because it tells you that more people are using it and more yeah. people are going to be paying for other things in the future. Well, surely there's a limited amount of people who could afford or would have enough government funding for this if it's quite expensive. That's the big thing. So the big thing is how many governments and how many insurers around the world will pay up for something like this. I've heard of stories here in Australia where people get covered for one and then they have to pay for the other one out of their own pocket. Yeah. Um, and that happens, right? That happens. So, um, yeah, that's that's the big thing. Like people think, oh well, just put more things in people's heads. Just do it. It's not that simple. It needs no. to be sold. It needs to be recommended. It needs to be reimbursed because it is so expensive. Yeah, gotta yeah. have someone to pay but for it. I think Cockley is one of the one of not just the the stock market's best companies, but one of Australia's best companies overall. Like yep. it's a seriously good company. Has a wide moat. Wide moat, you could say. Yeah, it is in a competitive industry, so. It's not going to grow into inter- into infinity, but uh, it is a strong business. Yeah. All right. Well, continuing on in healthcare, we've also got Nanasonics under the ticker code NAN. I feel like this is one of the companies I heard you talking about years and years ago. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So Nanasonics is a business that does um, ultrasound disinfectant. So let's just backpedal a bit. So if you think about when you go to get like a scan, say if you have like a hernia or a weird lump and you're like, oh, what is this thing? You go and you get that really cold gel put on you and the the um, sonographer will like grab it and like run that across you. If you're pregnant or something like that, you'll get the ultrasound. Mm. And so they've got this thing that kind of looks like a, was it like a Nivea like thing that you like put on your underarm? Like, you, you know the thing <laughs> I'm talking about? It's like deodorant. deodorant. Um, it looks like that. And they put the gel on it and they run it across you and then yeah. they wipe it, right? And you think, geez, is that thing clean? So what the what Nanasonics does is- That it- was going through your head when this happened to yeah. you. <laughs> is that clean? <laughs> I was asking him, like, what do you think about at the competition? Like, of course. Yeah, yeah, all this you're stuff. getting a scan and then you're doing I market was, research was, at the getting, same time. This was only like six months ago. I was like, what do you think of this other thing? Oh, and what are the weaknesses of Nanasonics? Yeah, anyway, <laughs> so um, so he had some really good in- intel for me. Yeah, anyway, I'm sure. So you, the sonographer, like the- the person that uses the machine will grab that uh, device and basically it's on a cable, kind of like, I don't know, like any cable, and they put it into a machine that looks like a microwave. It sits in there and then it disinfects using, you know, all fancy processes. It's faster than a lot of the competition. It's like more hygienic than a lot of the competition and it is definitely better than just wiping things clean, which still happens around the world. Mm. So Nanasonics did that, uh, but they've been working on other projects for a very long time, like endoscopy um, devices around endoscopy so that's where they go like inside your body which is also something that requires a lot of um cleanliness cleanliness so they've been moving into this and this is the probably the more exciting thing that they've been announcing recently um but just if we just maybe because in the interest of time we'll sidestep that and just talk about the results really quickly so revenue is up uh 35 after a depressed 2021 um profit which is incredible before tax was up 249 percent Incredible. So no dividend declared, but that's okay. It's a growth story. Yeah. Um, Nanosonics is a brilliant business, although there is a competitor emerging to its product um, that it is that it, it is competing against, which claims to be faster and just as accurate. So mm. 
Um, but that said, like there's probably room for two players in this market and Nanosonics is definitely the first mover and it's expanding into other ways. It's more of a mid-cap company, so expect it to be very, very vol- volatile. It's not like a Wes Farmers, which everyone knows. Yep. That's Nanosonics. N-A-N on the ASX for those programmers out there, you know, that's not another number. <laughs> that's my that's your geeky joke, joke for, for the today. day. <laughs> good, good one, Owen. Okay. All right, the next one, we're, we're switching out of healthcare and into digging some stuff out of the ground. Pilbara Minerals, mm-hmm. ASX code PLS. Please, yeah. If not another number, to please. Uh, yeah, so Pilbara Minerals is one of the, the true lithium success stories. In fact, it probably is the only lithium success story as it currently stands in Australia. Yeah. Um, so the business basically makes money by pulling stuff out of the ground. And you know that that stuff called lithium, even if you don't know much about mining, goes into things like batteries. Okay. Um, so and it's relatively useful? Yeah. And if this is, I was absolutely blown away when I started looking at this company's results a few months ago because I don't really invest in mining companies because for every 20 companies that promise to do something, one of them probably maybe mm-hmm. does something half of what it said. Um, but in this instance, this was that one half of a company that then went, did more than probably what it said. Yeah. And so just to put it in perspective, they produced, you know, uh, basically lithium concentrate is what I'd say it is. Um, 309,000 tons was up 83%, right? So they made 68% more shipments, resulting in sales up 305%. So the average, um, so this is the average sales price of $4,993 per ton, which resulted in sales revenue, get this, Kate, up 647%. Oh, my gosh. To $2.18 billion, right? What are we doing with all this lithium? And then the profit or what they call, we'll we'll stick with profit, went up 989%. So this doesn't happen, right? This This is extremely rare. So this is like, this is like the one company that could pull this off at the right time while also the lithium market was shooting the lights out at exactly the time that it happened to have enough money to get its mine off the ground and sell into a market that wanted more than there was supply. And this is like all of the stars aligning in all of the galaxies. And so so this company's profit up 989%. One of the things that I always look at is how does profit change relative to sales? So if sales goes up, this is an example, 10%, but profit goes up 20%. What that means is the company's growing because sales went up, but it's also getting more profitable, mm-hmm. meaning that the it's getting more and more profits for every dollar of sale because the profit is increasing faster than the sales. Yeah. In this instance, we've got sales going up 600%, which is just mind-boggling, yeah. while at the same time, profit is up 989%. So it's getting bigger and more profitable. And that's what makes this special. And they're all good things. They're all good things. But the, yeah. I mean- Right place, right time for sure. But one of the other things that people should be mindful of, and I just want to caution you before you think I'm getting excited about this, is one of the things that worked in its favor was a huge, huge increase in the selling price of lithium. Okay. And that might not always be the case. Commodity prices, everyone that invests in commodities knows this, they rise and they fall. Right. You could say that lithium is probably going to be more in demand in the future, but that does not necessarily mean that the price will always be the same. Yeah. So even though they could be digging more out of the ground in the future, their profits might not f- go up as quickly. Because they can't sell it for as good of a price. Yeah. So then the profits might go up, but maybe not up as much as the sales go up. So they might be selling more, but the profitability isn't there. Now, mm. that's probably not 
like I don't want to be too much too negative on this, but it is one of the true success stories on the ASX. Like it's probably of this decade, you could probably say. Um, yeah, it's probably worth noting but, those those cyclical companies where you can't just keep impri- increasing your prices because you have a competitive market, and so sometimes what you can sell your material for will be a lot lower than what you sold it for the year before. Absolutely. So just in 2020, so if you just go back to March 2020, so this is like three years ago, the share price was 15 cents. It's now $4.15. So it gives you a sense of how fast- That is quite a story. Yeah, how fast it's gone. Not only that, the dividend is 11 cents. Oh. So if you think about that, in just one half of a year, it's paying 11 cents in dividends. The whole share price was 15 cents not that long ago. So- Early investors have been extremely re- well rewarded, but there's this thing in investing. And Warren Buffett once made the joke that there's the three eyes. It starts with the innovator, then there's the imitators, and then there's the idiots. It's important to know what which one you're investing in. And there yep. are a lot of imitators at the moment, and maybe a few idiots. So don't get caught up in this hype cycle of like, let's go invest in lithium because it seems like a great idea. And yeah, it worked for Pilbara. Like it might not work for the next guy. Yeah. So that's that. Okay, I feel like we're gonna get through these. Yeah, we've got to go a bit faster now and we've got to start flying. All right, next oh. one, Qantas Airways Limited, ticket code QAN and <laughs> Owen's joke before was that Qantas has been flying this past year. <laughs> the share literally. price has been taking off uh, and that's because things like passenger revenue is way up. Um, they are just making so much money at the expense of there being very little competition. Uh, so say what you want. F- this, how's this? It's just going to pull this out. The fuel cost during the half year went from last year being 474 million sounds like a lot of money well it's 2.3 billion in the most recent half year fuel prices affecting Qantas as per usual so and if they're flying more they need more fuel too absolutely yeah and it, and fuel prices have gone up so yeah uh, yes. it seems like customer dissatisfaction has gone up as well i've seen so oh, yeah. many news stories where people have had really poor so- service of Qantas i mean i got them in january and i didn't have any issues but you know how t- titanic hit an iceberg yeah basically like anything that involves a big piece of machinery like an airplane or a boat they take a long time to turn around and so what happens is when on the way down Qantas was reporting huge losses on the way up it's recording huge profits because they can't just flick a magical switch and they've got staff, planes, and everyone ready to go. So when demand came back, what do they do? They increase prices. Yeah. I'm just looking at the share price. And if you look at like just Feb 2020, it's it dropped significantly. There's just this huge fall. Yeah. Do you know what it got down to? Do you have the price in front of you? Ugh. I'll have a look if you, if you can't okay, find I'm it. I'm looking. Okay. So on like 21st of Feb 2020, yep. it was $6.50. Yeah. And then- on the 20th of March, 2020, it was $2.36. Yeah, basically looks like- It's just- If you cut, cut Mount Everest cliff. in half and just <laughs> fell off that half, like that's what it would look like. And yeah. now it's back up to what? Like it's around $6.50, $6.80. Today. $6.80. So you've made like two or three times your money if you bought down there. Yeah. But, but if you owned it before COVID, it's just kind of back to where- Where it was. Yeah. The, the thing is Qantas and all airlines suck. Yeah. Like, they're just terrible businesses. They require a lot of money to buy all the airplanes. A lot of, by the way, a lot of the airlines don't own their airplanes because they're too expensive to buy. So they lease them through businesses like Macquarie. Um, and then they go and run those airplanes until they're no longer useful. 
and they get a new one, which is costs more. It's on a bigger lease. And all the while, fuel prices are going up, down, sideways, and everything like that. And they got to pay the airport every time they land. So that's the key thing, is the airports make money, not yeah. from you going through there like a, oh, this is lovely. Maybe I'll go and get some undies from wherever this store is. That The airports make money by charging the airlines. So if you think about it, airlines are in a very hard position where they've got all this money. It's a tough business. You're only one crash away from disaster. Well, that's it. And then a lot of the airlines overseas are partially owned by governments. So what you end up doing is you're competing against competitors who have infinite amounts of money and support. Mm. Didn't Malaysian airlines get bought by the government after their incidents? Well, maybe, yeah. I don't really follow it that closely because yeah. like Warren Buffett used to have, I've got a one three hundred number every time I try and invest in an airline. Um, and I just say, dear, whoever's on the other end of the line, I'm thinking of buying an airline and they talk me off that shelf. So um, that's Qantas. Good result, extremely good result in terms of sales and because passenger numbers are back and they're charging more. Well, they had a low base in 2020 to yeah. improve off. So yeah. anything's got to be better. Anything would be better than that. Um, next one. All right. What are we? Third last one. We've got REA Group. So realestate.com.au. R-E-A. Yes. So REA Group owns realestate.com.au, but also a bunch of other stuff. If you actually look at all the websites and all the apps and everything in Australia, the real estate market is basically controlled by like two or three massive groups. Um, realestate.com.au is the one everyone knows, but then there's domain. And they own other websites, like they might be like property.com.au, all mm-hmm. these other things. They own the data all this different stuff. They basically have a stranglehold on real estate agents in Australia. Yeah, like what, when I was looking for a property, I just looked at domain and realestate.com.au. Where else yeah. do you look? Well, you could. the only other thing that most people do is what we call an off-market tra- transaction. Mm-hmm. That's where you, even though it says off-market, you, you sign up to the newsletter of your local real estate agent and they send out things before they get lodged on realestate.com. Oh, yeah. I've still got a few of those That's local agent newsletters to unsubscribe from yeah (laughs) every open home they get you and they're good though because in theory the owner or the vendor the owner doesn't have to pay to have their property advertised which is Mm. very expensive in the thousands and thousands of dollars so if they don't have to pay any of these websites then theoretically you should get it cheaper but that's not always the way so the company real estate makes the money in a few different ways um, but the biggest way is through advertising properties Uh, and they do that in two ways the number of ads and what they call yield now this is basically a fancy way of saying price increase so what they do is they increase prices that's called a yield increase in their language and then you also have the number of ads being shown Uh, and when property prices rise you got more activity buying and selling so you've got more like inventory so you're selling more so are they a little bit cyclical as well like tied to the the property market then when property prices fall what happens well, some people start selling. Yeah. So then you can still do the same thing on the way down. Yeah. There are instances where that's not true. Like in a downturn, a lot of quality properties don't sell. Yeah. They actually just don't sell. A lot of homeowners that know that they own quality property don't sell in a downturn. Yeah. But then they also own things like the, you know, many people have been through the app where like one form, we uh, do rentals. Rentals have been going up. Okay. So they've diversified their business Yeah. They their also as well. have moved into financial services, franchising, all this just other stuff. So they've got their fingers in a few pies. Yeah. So overall, very good result. Revenue up to $584 million. Probably a bit slower than people would have liked, but at the same time, pretty good result. Okay. All right. REA Group. REA Group. There we go. All right. Second last, we have Coles Group. Ticket code C-O-L. I think everyone will know what this company does. 
I didn't at a high level. Yeah. We did a deep dive on Woolworths. Remember that? Yeah. So go back in the catalog and look at that if you're interested in supermarkets in Australia. And what we revealed in that episode was that Woolworths is substantially bigger than Coles. I always thought they were about the same size, but Woolworths is a lot bigger. Anyway, um, and then it's obviously like Aldi and IGA Food Works, all that sort of stuff further down the list. Um, but the two big ones are Coles and Woolies. So in terms of Coles results... Um, Supermarket revenue was up 4.6% to $18.8 billion. So it sounds like a lot of money, but remember they feed Australia. So um, that's one thing. In their liquor department, sales went backwards 2.4%. So what's interesting here, Kate, if you think that the revenue for supermarkets went up 4%, like 4.6, right? Well, inflation, all that stuff mm. that's eating away at prices was like 6 or 7%. Are they going forward? Mm. Probably not. So, because they've definitely put up prices, because we've all been feeling, yeah, not that we've been feeling the pinch, but they some of those supermarkets had a commitment to cap certain prices as well. Okay, yeah, Coles had that big campaign, they price locked some things, yeah, yeah. So, oh, their advertising worked on me. Sales revenue four percent up. Uh, then if we drop further down to the profit line, so when I say profit, I don't mean like net profit, I mean like at the individual like business level, so supermarkets. Profit was up 11%. Liquor was down 19% to $80 million. So that doesn't make a lot of money, the liquor department. No, that's vintage sellers, right? Yeah, and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, whereas Dan Murphy's used to be owned by Woolworths, and now that's mm-hmm. separate. It's called the Endeavor yep. Group. Uh, and overall, so from the continuing parts of Cole's business, profit was up 9.9%. Uh, and, you know, this is basically typical of what you'd expect from one of the biggest companies in the country. It's just, it is what it is, really. Um, the dividend that was announced, 36 cents. Um, the previous period, like from the same period last year, was 33 cents. So dividend going up, which is positive. Uh, and that's basically what Coles can offer to shareholders is a good dividend. Yeah, I find the two supermarkets fascinating because we all, in a way, depend on Coles and Woolworths. Like, it's very hard to get all your groceries from Aldi or things like that. And so... They're kind of forced to keep going. <laughs> yeah, true. We actually have some people that work for LD listen to the show. Oh, they wrote in to us and awesome. they will not be happy that you just said that, correct? No. Uh, well, Effie Aldi, told me the other day- sponsor that, of the show. <laughs> no, Effie told me the other day that Aldi is definitely cheaper for the staples. She oh, absolutely. She did, did some market oh, yeah. research. The Canstar research on uh, Aldi is like, in some instances, up to 20%. Yeah, cheaper. I mean, I got a fry pan at Aldi the other day, so- How is it? I haven't used it yet, but it okay. was $12 for a fry pan. $12. Non-stick. So Non-stick. I yes. shall report back. Hopefully it's <laughs> Let good. us know how your eggs go. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Lucky last. Lucky last. If you're thinking about looking for a job this year or you're advertising a job, you might be using a platform called Seek. So under the ticker code S-E-K. Yeah, Seek. S-E-K. It's been on the stock exchange for a very long time. I owned the shares many years ago and sold way lower than the share price is today. So thank you very much uh, for that. Uh, so sales revenue uh, up 21%, which they define as like the continuing parts of their business. Uh, and profit up 9%, which is a respectable increase. So Seek makes money. Again, they'll use the language yield. People don't like to use the word price increase because it gets all political. <laughs> but um, yield increase. So they attributed some of the uh, results to that. Um, but they also had a lot of people like the, the labor market's been pretty strong, right? Lots yeah. of companies advertising, lots of people looking for jobs or not. Well, lots of people looking, but not a lot of people switching jobs. The unemployment rate's been fairly low recently. And that's good for Seek, right? But then when 
the economy takes a bath and there's not as many employers offering jobs, then they have to weather the downside there. So that's kind of where, to your point before about cyclicality, realestate.com.au is cyclical because it moves with property mm. prices, but it makes money on the way up and on the way down. Seek, less so. So seek is more cyclical in that it doesn't make as much money on the way down. So there are some things that Seek has done to weather that. They uh, do have international operations. But the other thing that Seek has done recently is they started a vent, like it's kind of like a venture fund. So basically you put money into the Seek fund and then they go and invest it for you. Right. Uh, and that won't pay literal dividends for quite some time, but it's something that they're working on. Uh, so it's kind of different because the family that actually founded Seek are some of Australia's best venture capitalists. Okay, yeah. So they've taken their money and they start to invest in these other companies. So they think, well, why don't we do it with Seek? Mm. Yeah, so um, Seek bought something called Xiaopin, uh, which is like a Chinese jobs business many years ago, and they fostered that growth. So they have a track record of buying other businesses and doing good things with it. Yeah. So overall result, you know, revenue up, profit not up quite as much. Um, but at the same time, the final, uh, so the, the dividend for this period was 24 cents per share, which is good. That was up from 23 cents, so just one cent up last year. Uh, and all, all, all things considered, if we look back at all of these companies, I think all of them deserve a spot on a watch list because they're all good for different reasons. They all have their own challenges for different reasons. I, you know, there are many companies here. Probably the one that is the least appealing to me, Kate, as a business to go and research is Coles. Simply because I like the business and I could own it in a portfolio for dividends, but it's not as interesting to me as like Seek or mm. REA Group. Uh, actually, I take that back. Qantas is on the list. I didn't even <laughs> think about that. I would just scratch that completely off the list for me. Um, but and then there's even the more eyebrow raising stuff like Block. Like that's if you're in for the if you're in investing for the frills, that's the kind of thing that would be on the list. Um, so it's not for the faint-hearted, but like beautiful businesses like West Farmers too. Yeah, and I'm actually for our next company deep dive mm -hmm. because after doing this, I was like, oh, West Farmers is actually fascinating. There's a lot of companies that I use on a very regular basis in there. So we're going to do that for our next company deep dive. So if you've got any fun facts about Wes Farmers or Bunnings or anything like that, let us know. We'll include yeah. them in the episode. If you work for Bunnings or for, for Officeworks or something like this, let us know. <laughs> as long as it's publicly as long available as public information. public information, as we now know, we would love to hear about your experience. <laughs> but yeah, we um, so we cover a lot of this stuff over on the Australian Investors Podcast. Yeah, so you did a few reporting season Heaps, episodes One every Drew. week, yeah. Yep. So every week we cover company results. So if this is yeah. your jam, like if you like, mm, 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 can't wait for this next episode where we talk about the stock market. Head on over there. But we also might want your feedback on this. If you yeah. like this episode, we're happy to do more of it. Just let us know. Yeah. I mean, Owen lives and breathes this stuff. So yeah. if you like it. I could talk about Seek and REA Group for at least an hour without <laughs> pausing because don't. they're wonderful businesses and they solve a lot of problems for people. So yes. like, like, as you can see and hear from us talking about this, Investing is not about like looking at things going up and down in your Perler or your, your Comsec account. What investing is, it's about finding businesses that solve problems and learning about and discovering those businesses and the customers and the markets and, and figuring it all out. And that is what investing is as opposed to trading. Yeah. And I, I'm an investor, Kate's an investor for this very reason. So if you like yeah. this stuff, that is And it's a good opportunity to be just curious. And so these businesses all play a role in Australia and you probably have touch points with them at one point in your life, if not multiple touch points. You know, the big, big secret, Kate, is I used to listen for years. I used to listen to Apple, Amazon, Google, and uh, 
Facebook slash Meta's quarterly results. Just mm -hmm. listen. And the reason was, okay, I wanted to know if they were good investments, but the reason is I wanted to know what they were doing with the internet. Mm -hmm. And so I know you find this funny, but for anyone that is interested, the way we basically built the RAS business was by making sure that we fit into those algorithms of Google and Facebook and Instagram and all those things, right? Even podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. So I used to listen to those calls and those read those reports so I could figure out what they were doing ahead of time before our competition, who didn't know that the masters at Apple and Google were making those decisions. So I would use that to my advantage as a consumer, but also as a business owner. Yeah. So even something that's a different approach, like a lot of people are going, looking at this from an investment perspective, but you're going, how can I learn more about the world and how can I help my own business? Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And that's just a, anyone can do that. So Yeah. And just if you're interested, just pick one of these companies and do some research. Like yeah, if you're don't interested. worry about buying anything, just learn. If you're in HR, go and learn about Seek. If you if you work for Coles, have a look at the annual report. See if you can invest in the shares. Or if you're you know, yeah. if you're in the medical profession, you probably know more about cochlear and nanosonics than either of us will ever yeah. could. So go and learn about them. That's cool. Yeah. All right. But right. well, it was fun, Kate. Yes. So if you cool. want to find out more, you can head to the socials. The Investors Podcast. And head to the Investors Podcast. Now. But also, uh, if you're a RASCOR member, um, I also talk about companies and stuff in there too, So as well as ETFs. So head on over there. Kate, as always, thanks for joining me. Wonderful. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest, and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, 
designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.